And we are live on a Friday from the Empire of Lies, a bastion of free speech, open debate, and truth in the vast wasteland, the disintegrating wasteland that is the New World Order and the Biden administration. I'm Lee Strahan. This is the backstory. So indeed, it's a Friday, and it's a fairly news-filled Friday. A lot of delayed reaction news from Nancy Pelosi in China. A eh, Rod? Yeah, that's an understatement, Lee. Yes, and we said it wasn't. I think you said it wasn't over because it was obvious it wasn't over. If you believe China was bluffing the whole time. If you believe China was just saying, don't come to Taiwan or there'll be serious consequences, was a bluff, then you you were, I don't know what you were thinking. It doesn't seem to me that China does a lot of bluffing, Rod. Are they real bluffy to you? Uh, no, I was actually watching Peter Lavelle earlier today and he had uh, someone from Beijing and someone from Hong Kong and uh... No, uh, China's like Russia, they're very tactical, so, and uh, I think this is just the beginning, I think there's going to be more uh, downfall from this. But the, what, what it is, is because they didn't shoot her plane down, or shoot her coming off the plane, or something reactionary like that, which, I mean, reactionary, like, that would be, that really would have escalated things in a huge way, and been a huge response. But China is responding, and it is a big response. But it's not, I heard, did you hear news reports saying, well, she wasn't shot, her plane wasn't shot down? Yeah, I did hear those reports. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I did hear those uh, reports on the news that, uh, you know, that she wasn't wanted, and a lot of people here in America and China didn't want her to go, and it was dangerous, but, you know, her plane wasn't shot down, and she she made it safely. And then our side had the audacity. Read that cojones if you want to, Rod. Had the audacity, the testicular fortitude to say to China, don't overreact. You see where America's official position is. Hey, China, please don't overreact. That's our official foreign policy, is please don't overreact. You see a problem there? <laughs> major problems, Lee, major. And we, we've got a lot of clips, so, so let's get to the boom, because it's a clip-filled Friday. It's not an official name, but we've got a lot of clips, right, Rod? That's correct. And the first one relates to this China thing. And I'm gonna show you stuff have you listen to stuff in clips that you don't often hear, certainly on the radio, but a number of things and some anti-China stuff. A good place to hear that usually is Tucker Carlson, who I like, but I point out that Tucker, Tucker is always down to attack China. Have you noticed that? Tucker, despite his many virtues as a host, is often attacking China. Have you noticed that? 
Yeah, he tries to play the middle ground, but uh, yeah, he sees our intellectual properties and uh, how uh, China's bought out so many of our politicians. So yeah, I think he has a, a little anger towards China. So the first thing I'm gonna play people is a clip of Tucker being balanced on China. And do you know what I think he did here this good? You know what this clip is gonna be? We're not gonna play it quite yet, but this is a teaser of what's coming. He had, what is it, Doug McGregor? Yeah, Colonel McGregor. Is is it Doug? Is his first name? I'm not sure. I'm not sure off the top of my head. Yeah. Okay. Colonel uh, is not his first name, but <laughs> it's his title. So let's go with it. Colonel McGregor was on Tucker, and I don't need him to come on and talk about how awesome China is. But you know what I think is a good tactic to do when you're trying to look at people you consider your adversary is consider their point of view. Does that make sense? When you're trying to negotiate with someone, consider their point of view. You don't have to accept it. You don't have to say, no, they're right. But consider and be able to articulate what their point of view is. Why does China care about Taiwan? You hardly ever hear the mainstream media discuss that. Right? It's and there's yeah, a reason. Kind of it seem like... Right. And so when the media didn't consider why Russia cared about Ukraine joining NATO and knows that in the run for the war, they did not care a, a whit about why Russia's doing this. So what they came down to is this is an unwarranted invasion and Putin's just a madman. When you take away the reason that people may have, for instance, that Ukraine has been used to provoke Russia for 80 years and that NATO it will be putting weapons right on the border with Russia. When you can't consider the rational reasons Russia may have, all you have left are irrational reasons. Does that make sense, Rod? Yeah, that makes total sense, Lee. And uh, I think China has the same uh, viewpoint that, you know, you're using Taiwan to attack us. And that's why this clip was astounding to me. It's a good clip, and I agree with it. But the fact that it was on Tucker, I give Tucker huge prop because I think I know he, he doesn't like Russia. I mean, just factually, he doesn't care for Russia. China. China, forgive me. China. China, Russia seems okay with, but Tucker doesn't care for China. Yes, exactly right, I misspoke. Thanks, Rod. But I think he was fair in this segment, and that's all I can ask. I don't care if he has a bias. Everybody's got bias of one kind or another. And I don't care as long as you're fair. And I thought this is a fair report that chose to look at what's motivating China. And I think it's a good report, so we'll play that coming up. Then, so in the first hour, we have Ted Rawl, our great friend, always a good conversation with Ted Rawl. And we'll be talking about a lot of these issues with China with Ted. Then in the second hour, he's staying up late for us. But it'll be good because Ian Schilling 
from the UK always is very smart, very passionate, and I'd say it's fair to say Ian doesn't like the New World Order very much. Is that fair, Brad? Oh yeah, for sure. And there's a non lot of New World Order stuff going on. So let's take a let's go to the boom, and then we got Jonathan on the phone lines. We're taking your calls. All show. It's a Friday. Come party with us. We're gonna have a good time. Great show. Ted Rawl, Ian Schilling, and your calls, and lots of clips here on the backstory. So let's do this. I'm gonna take Jonathan before we go to the first clip, but then we're gonna have to go to clips quickly afterwards. So 202-521-1320. Jonathan, thanks for patiently waiting. What's on your mind? I mean, you cover so many topics now, I then forgot which one uh, I wanted to uh, ding you on. I mean, you guys are Americans, right? Yes. It's hard to really figure out that you guys are Americans. Uh, a lot of the news and these... Cr- no, why do, you, why do you say that? What a dumb thing to say. First off, when you come in someone's house as a guest, and you are a guest, you don't poop on the floor. Is that your is that your habit? You're invited on as a guest, and then you say something insulting and stupid. I say every day that I'm American, and I act like a proud American. Furthermore, I'm... I'm yeah, you, 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 proud Americans don't go around. So wait a minute. So now... All of a sudden, Biden. Yeah, so tell me about, lecture me about what proud Americans do. Because if you want to know what proud Americans do, watch me, pal. Now, come on, Jonathan, what, what is your point? My point is, you said the Biden administration is the new world order. Is that what you said? No. Listen up, idiot. Do you know who said the Biden administration is fighting for new world order? The Biden administration and a member of parliament from Ukraine said that, said the war against, uh, the war for Ukraine is a war for the new world order. Rod, am I misquoting her? Rod, am I misquoting her? You're misquoting her? What? So the Biden administration obviously has said things that this is a war for the liberal new world order. That's a term they've used. I've never heard that until this show. Okay, so it's not my fault that you don't pay attention. Try paying attention. Try looking it up. They've said it. So, okay, so, and back to Ukraine, which is, you know, such a hot topic. So it sounds like every time I listen to the show, you guys are 90% leaning towards anything but America. Anything but America. So It's not my fault if what... Is the Biden administration, what is the Biden administration doing that I should be in favor of? Tell me, name one thing that they're good at. Name one thing that's incompetent, corrupt, criminal administration is good at. Go ahead, Jonathan. Okay, what, what administration is really good at making sure that 100% of the people that they have to govern over is get every little point or, or reference that they want to make and their point correct? So you're telling me that the administration that we had previously is any much better than what's going on now? That's what you're telling me? Unlo- first off, really- first off they're, they're obviously better. And, but, but I've been critical of Trump. So if you're trying to put me in the corner of a, a MAGA, you know, cult of personality person, you picked the wrong guy. Okay, well, with the, with the only time you bash Trump is on 
such minuscule things that nobody really cares about. But the uh, yeah, like like Julian Assange, I don't consider Julian Assange a minor issue. I don't consider his conciliations to Israel minor point. I don't consider bombing Syria a minor point. And I bring up all of those things. So, Jonathan, I got to move on. You're welcome to call anytime. But I got a lot of clips, so I got to get to them. And this is just turning into you trying to get insults in that aren't based on doing good research on the show. Keep listening. You eventually change your mind. You'll come around, Jonathan. I'm pulling for you. Now, this first clip relates to something we've been talking about for a long time on the show. It's Tucker Carlson is a great host, but he shows a bias against China. But in this clip with McGregor on the Tucker Carlson show, he showed a great amount of balance, just trying to understand what China's position is. And it's well said, so I'll let Colonel McGregor state it. Let's hear the clip. Hit it. It qualifies as a statesman. Statesmanship involves advancing American interests at the least cost to the American people. None of that is in play here. We're dealing with a group of posers, people who are posturing. Posturing is not statesmanship. And the American people need to understand something that no one has bothered to tell them. That during World War II, Taiwan was the unsinkable aircraft carrier of the Imperial Japanese Armed Forces. All the major invasions of China were launched from Taiwan. Beijing will not allow Taiwan to become a garrison state for American armed forces or Japanese armed forces or any foreign power. And if they think that we are going to ally ourselves with Taiwan, if they think we are going to intervene to defend that island in the event of a dispute, then we will be at war with China for the reasons that I just outlined. And we are not prepared for that. We are grossly overstretched. We don't have the logistical infrastructure. And frankly, there's an old adage that everyone should remember. A ship's a fool to fight a fort. You have to fight China from the sea. We can't win that. China can absorb everything we throw at it. And the Chinese are happy to sit there, let us travel thousands of miles to reach them, and then sink us. This is... I don't know why every show on TV is not covering this right now. This seems like one of the craziest things that's happened in my lifetime. Do you have any speculation and guess as to why the Biden administration would want this? Well, the Biden administration and its predecessors, frankly, treated everything that the Russian government said for the last 15 years about Ukraine with complete contempt. They're repeating that process. We see how well that's worked out in Ukraine. The Russians were always serious. Hundreds of thousands of lives have been lost in this war in Ukraine that we should have acted quickly to stop. Now we're provoking the Chinese over an, over an issue that is at least as strategically important to them. That's beyond belief. Now, that was such a good segment, Rod. That could have been a segment on the backstory. Do you agree it's that good? Yeah, no, for surely. And it explains a lot about what's going on. And it's just, you know, it's just a Ukraine-Russia thing 2.0, I guess you could say. It's just in uh, in Asia, you know, they're trying to do the same thing with Taiwan. We've done Ukraine to Russia. They're going to they're trying to use Taiwan to attack China. Taiwan is tactically important militarily to China. That's the summary, right? 
I mean, tact, tactically important because it's a, it's a, you know, large enough island off the coast of China that if it's being used as, as he said, as, you know, a, a, basically a, an island that's a carrier, a, a floating place for the Air Force to launch off of and launch attacks into China, that's tactically important to China, right? So they're not just going to give that up and let their enemies take it over. Makes perfect sense to me. Right, Rod? Yeah, it should make sense to anybody with a rational mind about what's going on. Um, Taiwan's not our baby. It's not, you know, we have no uh, right to, you know, say our Taiwan's ours and we must defend it. And I thought that was a very good segment. And I noticed Tucker's reaction. At the end there, Tucker seemed, it seems like Tucker, you know, what happens is everybody gets into their own media bubble. And it seems like Tucker was realizing that he doesn't get enough objective news. What I mean by objective, I mean stating China's position in his position. Didn't he sound like someone who's learning something and stunned by it? He said, shouldn't this be on every show? We've been covering it on this show. Tucker needs to listen to more backstory. And I really do think Tucker would like it. No, but I'm serious. Did you hear the the sound of his voice? He's not learning his stuff from watching Fox. Right? No, you're right, Lee. You're right, Lee. And if uh, we can't see it, obviously, so we can only hear it, but you can see it in his eyes. It gets his eyes gets real wide and he shakes his head because he's just amazed. That he's, you can see his mind connecting the dots is what's going on. Right. And he doesn't even understand the role he's playing in demonizing China and who is behind it and why they want to demonize China. I've pointed this out on Twitter and I'll say it here and I'll just say it again. When I know how wrong the American news media and Fox and Breitbart and the Daily Caller and the Daily Wire have been on Russia. No, this time I did mean to say Russia. Have been on Russia. All of those outlets, even the ones who didn't fall for Russiagate, they still said negative stuff about Russia. I'm thinking about Breitbart and Daily Caller and so on. You, you notice that, Rod? All those outlets, none of them fell for Russiagate, but they still said negative stuff about Russia, right? Yeah, that, that is correctly. They still they still talk negatively about Russia, even with all the stuff that's come out about uh, what Ukraine's doing over there. And uh, like you said, you know, on China, they're probably even worse. No, right. My point is, when I know how wrong they are in Russia, why would I take their word on China? Why would I say... Well, these people who get everything wrong about that I know about, because I know more about Russia than China. So as sometimes I'm at a loss to contradict some things because I don't know much about it. But when I know they've got Russia wrong, why would I listen to them on China? No one in the media does a good job of presenting the facts in the media of taking a counter U.S. foreign policy position. Now, 
let's change topics and go to another clip here, Rod. So when was the last time you thought about what is in Alex Jones' mouth? I'll say that again. I misspoke a little. What is in Alex Jones's mouth? Have you ever thought about that? No, not in what's in his mouth. Maybe what's in his head and what he's thinking about or what he's learned, but not, not what's in his mouth. I never thought about that. Okay, I'm sorry, everyone. You're going to be thinking about Alex Jones's mouth and what's in it in a second here. This clip is from his trial. By the way, the initial thing, he got $4 million against him. And they haven't even hit the punitive phase of this trial, which is where the juries can really tack on punishment. But he's at four million baseline. So they're trying to destroy Alex Jones financially. Would you agree with that, Rod? Yeah, Lee, I was also watching uh, the uh, video today of the trial of the punitive damages and uh, the the. Uh the plaintiff, the lawyers, uh, you know, he pretty much wants him banned off earth. He doesn't know, he doesn't know why anybody listens to this guy. He doesn't want him on air and et cetera, et cetera. It's just a, a flaming liberal. And I'm going to say this, too. I don't think it's the right time to abandon Alex Jones. I have been it's the, the easy position when he's lost his verdict and when he's admittedly he was wrong on Sandy Hook. Alex Jones has said that multiple times. You heard Alex Jones say that, right, Rod? He was wrong on Sandy Hook. Yeah, and he said he said on the stand that the media will not let him take it back. They just keep repeating that he does. You know, he still believes these conspiracy theories about uh, Sandy Hook. You remember? Uh, you remember Anderson Cooper on CNN crying about how he'd been wrong about RussiaGate? Oh, I'm sorry, that never happened. That was like a fantasy. That never happened. Maddow never apologized. Who in the mainstream media apologized for getting Russiagate wrong? Who? Who did that, Rod? Still waiting, Lee. Still waiting. So it's an important thing. And so I'm going to say boldly, because that's true, I've learned lots of stuff from Alex Jones. And his work on, for instance, Bohemian Grove and his work exposing the Anglo-American stuff, Carol Quigley, and his exposure of things like Russiagate and his support for Julian Assange. Alex Jones is a hero. He's a journalistic hero. And given the fringe subjects he hits, that the CIA is in a constant process of trying to hide, he gets a lot of stuff, most things, right. Whereas the mainstream media is swatting at slow pitch. You know, they're, they're swatting. The media hands them a story. They're, there's a reason we refer to them as stenographers. Stenographers. The media hands them a story. They repeat it. And yay. And then it turns out to be totally wrong, like the Hunter Biden laptop story. And they never apologize. Never, ever. So, yay. God bless Alex Jones. I'm proud to say I've learned lots of stuff. Rod, have you learned anything good from Alex Jones? Uh, so much I can't even count. But uh, one of the things that I think he was one of the first people to expose was Fast and Furiously. Um, you know, that was that's big. And it's not even, you know, if you bring it up now that people think you're talking about a movie, uh, not the uh, illegal shipment of guns to Mexico. And there's so many stories that he's been right on. 
that the media didn't cover at all. Like you say, Fast and Furious is another good one. And every time I've been on, I could go on and tell the truth, whether it's about Mike Cernovich and Jeffrey Epstein or about Ukraine and Russia. Every time Alex is letting me tell the truth on his show. And so God bless Alex Jones. And he needs to be defended at this moment. Now, but let's go on to his mouth, shall we? So let's play this clip of the judge chastising Alex Jones like he's a second grader saying he had gum. I know this is stunning. And is it like a teacher with a second grader, Rod? I'm not, not hyping that, right? No, 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 you're not hyping it at all. So let's play the clip, the judge versus Alex Jones on chewing gum. Hit it. Sorry, and we'd ask that the entire apartment Spit your gum out, Mr. Jones. Well, what is it? Because you're not allowed food or gum of any kind in the program. I, I, I had my tooth pulled uh, a week and a half ago, and it's, I, have, I had some gauze in there earlier, and it's, it's been causing me to have some pain. So you're chewing on your gauze? Would you like me to show you? No, I right just here? want you to answer my question. No, I, I, I was massaging the hole in my mouth with my tongue. Okay, right here. I don't want to see right. the inside of your mouth. Oh, no, you're not done. Hold. Sit down. And there you go. There's a judge saying to Alex Jones, I don't want to see the inside of your mouth. And, you know, she's kind of stern. She obviously really didn't want to see the inside of his mouth. But I have a feeling she did. What do you think, Rod? Do you think she saw... The image of the inside of Alex Jones' mouth, whether she wanted to or not. <laughs> I think she just really doesn't like Alex Jones, and uh, the fact that he's been putting her, her picture on his uh, on his shows is probably angered her even more. Right. By the way, we don't want to see the inside of her mouth, lady, either. No one wants to see it. Well, maybe a couple of people. But let's take a short break. When we come back, I'm going to play the next clip, which should be. Uh, a cl cl clip of a dick that should be up next and we'll discuss it with Ted Rawl on the best damn radio show in the world 100% American this is a backstory Backstory and on the radio in the Empire of Lies capital, Washington, D.C., on 105.5 FM, AM 1390. Joined now by great friend of the show, always a good conversation with author, cartoonist, bon vivant, Ted Rawl. Hey, Ted, how you doing? I'm good, Lee. How are you? I just arrived in Istanbul. You're in Istanbul. Last time we talked, you were in Moscow, but now you're in Istanbul? Yeah, I just flew from uh, St. Petersburg to Istanbul today. So I'll talk to you about both those things. Let's talk to you about Istanbul first. Have you ever been there before? Many times. Um, I like. Uh, I have been to 
Central Asia a lot of times. And so Istanbul has usually been my you know, sort of European stop off on the way back from Central Asia. So I think I've been here, I don't know, eight, nine times. No, it seems like a pretty, pretty fascinating city. Now, I, I would wonder, too, what, when I went to Beirut in 2013, I was surprised because I, like many Americans, am ignorant of other countries. When I went over to Beirut, I was surprised that the number two language spoken is French. They speak Arabic and then French and then English because and it makes sense given France's colonial ambitions decades ago. But is French spoken, because I know you're uh, a fr dual French citizen and you speak French, right? So is French spoken in Istanbul? Uh, no, just only by French tourists. Uh, it, there's no... There's no, there's no French, uh, you know, serious French influence here. Yeah, but but you've noticed that in many places in the Middle East, right? Oh yeah, that's definitely true. As you said, that's totally true about uh, Lebanon. Um, I hear it's true about Syria. Uh, I have not been there. Uh, yeah, that's totally true about the Middle East. And I've talked about it before, but you know, one of the uh, side effects of the French influence in Lebanon was fantastic baked goods. The bakeries there were really good. Does it make sense, Ted? Yes, that, that is correct. Um, did you know, by the way, the origin of the croissant? It's, uh, no. The croissant. Well, I like them. So a lot of baked goods are uh, were made as commemorative items. And so the, uh, the defeat of the Moors by the French king, Charles Martel, which stopped the Muslim insurgency into France in the in the Middle Ages, is celebrated by the croissant because it's the crescent, it's in the shape of the crescent moon, and in fact, uh, for that reason, in very conservative Muslim countries, like uh, well, for example, when ISIS had its caliphate in uh, eastern Syria and western Iraq, the, the croissant was banned. Those bastards. As anti-Muslim. Yes. Well, that that's that's fascinating, Ted. That is really interesting, and that the, the the croissant is the equivalent of freedom prize, but reverse for Muslims in some parts of the world, right? Exactly. That's correct. That's exactly right. So, Ted, we're playing a lot of clips today because it's the weekend, and there's a lot of news with clips. So. I'm going to play you a clip, and I'm sure you don't, in your day-to-day -day life, hear enough Dick Cheney in your life. <laughs> you know, uh, you miss Dick Cheney, right? Never enough. Never enough. And so Dick Cheney, and this is the best kind of Dick Cheney, Dick Cheney in a cowboy hat. Picture him in his hat. And for some reason, he's wearing a white hat. And apparently Dick Cheney didn't get the memo that he's Dick Cheney. Dick Cheney, if any man should wear a black hat for a cowboy hat, it's Dick Cheney. Would you agree, Ted? I think that the fine gentleman at the Stetson store in Austin, if Dick Cheney ever went there, uh, would, would not even show him a white hat. The best they do is off-white, perhaps eggshell. But he, he, he would... 
you know, it would have to be, it, he'd have to get it from the section of the store that had the off-white wedding gowns. You know what I'm saying? For the fallen women. So Dick Cheney is a bad guy, but he loves his daughter. And he's apparently the only one in the state that loves his daughter, Liz Cheney, fallen woman Republican. So let's play a clip, an ad Dick Cheney did for his daughter and prepare to be moved to tears. Ted Rawl, here's play that clip of Dick Cheney's ad for Liz Cheney. Hit it. In our nation's 246-year history, there has never been an individual who is a greater threat to our republic than Donald Trump. He tried to steal the last election using lies and violence to keep himself in power after the voters had rejected him. He is a coward. A real man wouldn't lie to his supporters. He lost his election, and he lost big. I know it, he knows it, and deep down, I think most Republicans know it. Lynn and I are so proud of Liz for standing up for the truth doing what's right, honoring her oath to the Constitution, when so many in our party are too scared to do so. Liz is fearless. She never backs down from a fight. There is nothing more important she will ever do than lead the effort to make sure Donald Trump is never again near the Oval Office. And she will succeed. I am Dick Cheney. I proudly voted for my daughter. I hope you will, too. Now, there's Dick Cheney. Now, did he show sufficient hatred of Donald Trump to become a Democrat, in your opinion, Ted? Almost. And, you know, nowadays, uh, you know, his policy, his foreign policy approach seems to be the Democratic, the new Democratic Party's uh, foreign policy approach. So uh, he might be a good fit. You know, two things jumped out at me from that ridiculous clip. Well, really three. One is Dick Cheney really sounds old. Uh, Number two uh, you know, to say that Donald Trump is the biggest threat to uh, American democracy ever, I'm going to say, well, I think maybe Jefferson Davis maybe have qualified more. Uh, you know, maybe uh, we, we could say Benedict Arnold might have been a greater threat. Uh, you know, maybe arguably post-war uh, General, uh, you know, MacArthur might have been a bigger threat. Uh, I mean, that's just a ridiculous statement. But also my favorite is uh, Donald Trump is a coward. He lied to his own supporters. Um, you know, I know a guy who li- who made a big, big lie, uh, and mostly to his own supporters. And that guy's name was Dick Cheney about weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. I mean, that is just really rich to listen to. And I want to play a clip because the media will say that, you know, Liz Cheney is getting punished for defying Donald Trump. I would say that is beyond what the politically powerful member of her family is her father, obviously, Dick Cheney. And Liz Cheney using running that for an ad, that's not merely defying Donald Trump. That is open war on Donald Trump and a lot of the base because he is attacking Donald Trump in a way that you can't ignore. Does that make sense, Ted? The, the media, I, I think, will downplay. They'll just say, well, she's defying Donald Trump. Do you understand why Donald Trump would be upset at that? Well, of course. I mean, of course, it's also important to 
contextualize the fact that the Cheneys have been harsh enemies of Donald Trump for many, many years, even preceding his presidency. So, uh, you know, the, from Trump's point of view, this, there's nothing new going on, but certainly the nation's attention was never really uh, drawn toward the fact that uh, the Cheneys were so mean to Trump for so long. Now they're paying attention. But I think, you know, I mean, Liz Cheney is being, you know, whether whether she believes what she's saying or not, the fact is it's very, it's not exactly a profile in courage to continue, you know, to defy the person that you've been insulting for many years. And that's what she's doing here. It's just that people are paying more attention. Um, it would show a lot more integrity if she was a former Trump supporter who had changed her mind. And that certainly is not the case here. Now, Chad, I've got another clip, but I'll save it for a little later. Let's talk about Nancy Pelosi in Taiwan. Nancy Pelosi defied, apparently, See, it's hard to say who she defied. The, do you believe the Biden administration wanted her to go or did not want her to go? Because they made some statements publicly like they didn't want her to go. But I think it's pretty obvious that they actually secretly wanted her, her to go. So what's your take on that, Ted? Did Biden want Pelosi to go to Taiwan or not? I think— um I don't think the Biden administration ever plays three-dimensional chess, so I don't think they were, uh, you know, even able to sort of say, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, oh, really, Nancy, we'd really wish you didn't go, please don't go. I think they didn't want her to go, uh, but I don't think they were as upset about it as perhaps some media reports suggest. I think it was a mild annoyance. Uh, they certainly, nobody really believed that World War III would start as a result. And, you know, fundamentally, that's because the Chinese are, are reasonable and are, don't, they're not going to start a war over, over this. And so, um, you know, I think there's not really much to fear unless there was some kind of seriously accidental escalation. But I think, yeah, I think, the, I think Biden, uh, you know, would have pre did prefer that she stay home, but you know, once but she insisted on going, and you know, it was like oh, he was like, okay, fine, whatever, you be you. But China did announce some pushback. It took a couple of days, but today they announced that there is no longer any military cooperation with the United States in terms of exercises or anything, and that's significant. So there are some significant changes to the U.S. China relationship after this visit to Taiwan, just as China said there would be, right? China gave fair warning. If she goes, there's going to be serious consequences. And now there seem to be, although, as you point out, nothing, uh, I don't want to be politically incorrect, and Beyonce learned the hard way, but I don't care. Nothing as spazzy as starting a war. I didn't see anything particularly spazzy from China here, but they acted seriously like there's consequences. Would you agree with that, Ted? Absolutely. And, you know, they, from their point of view, they couldn't afford to let it pass. So and they didn't. And so what do you think the lesson here is that the United States didn't learn? Well, I mean, I when it comes to the Taiwan issue, 
Uh, what is always front and center is the fact that uh, the United States does not recognize Taiwan diplomatically as an independent nation. In fact, the United States has repeatedly told Taiwan, which is a sort of a client, it is a client state uh, for its for weapons sales, to not declare independence. Um, that's what they want. So the one China policy is inherently incompatible with any kind of uh, you know threat to China that they shouldn't invade Taiwan. I mean, according to U.S. foreign policy, Taiwan is as part as much a part of China as. Washington State is a part of the United States. I mean, we can't invade Washington State. It's part of our own country. And as far as as far as we're saying, so, you know, if we want to change that and if the Taiwanese want to declare independence, that's a whole different thing. But we're not there. I mean, I think the lesson that we're not learning is that we're picking fights with adversaries who are able to to push back. And who don't really have to listen to everything we have to that everything we tell them to do anymore, and that just seems to be a lesson that we have, we are incapable of absorbing. And it's the same lesson basically that led to the Ukraine conflict. Ukraine was overthrown in 2014. A democratically elected government was overthrown, and the U.S. was clearly behind it. The phone call with Victoria Nuland picking who the new leader is, showed who is calling the shots, showed the U.S. was behind that. And then they started attacking Donbass, and then they got into the Minsk Accords and the second Minsk Accords. And what Russia was asking was that they follow the Minsk Accords that they agreed to. And after eight years of not listening to this, finally Russia did something. And so the U.S. does not seem to, as one of my callers, Brave, pointed out, Russia don't play. And so eventually, after, but they also don't overreact. And so after eight years of saying that, Russia finally held uh, Ukraine to account. Is that the way you see it, Ted? No, it's exactly the way I see it. And I also think there's, I also see it as sort of, the Cuban Missile Crisis on steroids. I mean, instead of having a island 90 miles off, the, uh, you know, a, a peninsula of your country that is hostile to you, here you have a country that's got a long land border with your country that it has become very hostile to you, and that is a country via which your country has been brutally, horribly, savagely invaded. Uh, not so long ago. I mean, there are people listening to us today who were alive during World War II. And so that's, you know, it's uh, if the Russians were not concerned about their border with Ukraine, uh, they would be idiots, and they're not idiots. So, uh, you know, there's no way any country, uh, you, you know, any country worth its salt or with any military power would tolerate that kind of situation along its own border. Now, you've been following the COVID crisis since it started, Ted, and it is fair to say that Ted Rawl is not an anti-vaxxer. Is that fair to say? I've got five COVID shots so far. Almost as many as Joe Biden, who can't seem to shake COVID. Have you noticed this? 
I'm very confused about the COVID. What's up with it right now? Joe Biden, double vaxxed, double boosted, and for six days has tested positive for COVID. So what's up? Is this super COVID? And also, no talk whatsoever about Joe Biden on a ventilator or being admitted to the hospital. Have you noticed that? There's absolutely no talk about Biden being admitted to the hospital. Have you noticed that, Ted? Well, I mean, I, I assume that's because he hasn't been admitted to the hospital. Yeah, but, but taking to ICU. I remember when Trump had it, there's a lot of talk. I think that, that the COVID virus has morphed to something that's easier to catch, but is less severe. Does that make sense? That's is rounded that bend. Yeah, I'm not. That, that's, that's yeah. That's what I've that's what I've read is that, and that was predicted from the very beginning of the pandemic that uh, this virus would mutate in that direction to become more contagious, uh, but less severe. And so I'm seeing a lot of mixed messages, even on the medical stuff. Some states are putting mask mandates back into place, but I'd heard. There was medical reasons to think that masks weren't effective. Did I just dream that? Or didn't the CDC or someone come out and say masks, especially the normal paper masks people use, aren't particularly effective? Am I wrong on that? No, I've read that. And obviously there's so many people who use cloth masks or they use paper masks that are not tight. I mean, even the people who use uh, KN95 masks, uh, you know, they're not supposed to be KN95s. They're supposed to be N95s. Um, they're, they're not even, they don't know how to properly uh, wear them. So people kind of are, nobody's ever, we've never really had real masking in this country. We've kind of had sort of half masking. So uh, now this is a lesson in not only confusion on COVID-19, but also in avoiding questions and handling PR. Here's Tiedros, the guy who's uh, head of the C of, of the WHO. You know what I'm talking about? Tiedros, the head of the WHO. And he's asked a question you're about to hear about whether he's vaccinated. And when you're asking an uncomfortable question in an interview, there are many ways to handle it. So they ask you an uncomfortable question, but the worst way to handle it, I think, is to quickly and without reason change the topic because that makes you sound really guilty. That's my opinion for what it's worth on the world of public relations. So let's hear this clip, Ted, and watch when he's asked when he's vaccinated, how quickly and without reason he changes it to a question about something else. So let's hear Tedros from the WHO ask about being vaccinated. Hit it. Thank you so much for taking the Thank time to you. be with me. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I want to ask you about your own vaccination. You got your first shot when? You know, still I feel like I know where I belong in a poor country called Ethiopia in a poor continent called Africa and wanted to wait until Africa and other countries in other regions, low-income countries, start vaccination. So I was protesting, in other words, because we're failing. 
He was protesting, Ted. Now, don't you feel bad for getting vaccinated when you should have been protesting against the injustice in Ethiopia? By the way, what did you think of Tedros's response? You know, when someone asks you a question and your response is, uh, well, something else. That was a very bad public relations response, I would say. Ted, what say you? That is, it's, that is gobsmacking. Um, you know, he's supposed to be setting, you know, he's one of the, a handful of public officials, public health officials who should be setting an example by being vaccinated. And that is just absolutely one of the most surprising things I've ever heard in my life, uh, and not in a good way. Uh, yeah, no, I, I agree with your take completely, Lee. He's, uh, you know, I mean, if he, if he wants to do that and launch such a protest, then he should have said so. But basically what he's telling everyone in the first world who has access to uh, the vaccinations is that they shouldn't do it in order to protest lack of vaccine equity in the developing world. And that is, I don't think, anything close to being what the WHO or any other public health organization has in mind. I mean, they're trying to get as many shots into as many arms as possible all over the world. And, you know, vaccine equity is a major issue in Africa. But the head of the WHO, like what? And I'm sure, and he didn't say he gave his vaccine to his cousin or something like that. He didn't say, no, I, I, I got the vaccine and rather than me take it, I gave it to my cousin or my friend or something like that. He just didn't take it, right? So it's bizarre. That's what it sounds and, like. And, and, and so he basically contributed to all these. He, he contributed to one more vaccine going into the landfill because so many are being thrown away. Now, let's say one more clip. This is a U.S. representative. Spates is her last name. And she's a very pro-Ukrainian. But she made some statements recently that are, as they say, raising eyebrows. So let's play that clip, shall we? Reporting about the first Ukrainian-born member of Congress, Indiana Republican Victoria Sparts. She's ruffled some feathers in Washington with her criticism of Ukraine's president. And when a bipartisan group of lawmakers visited Ukraine back in March, she showed up uninvited, acting, as one member put it, like a bull in a china shop. CNN's Melanie Zanona is live for us in Washington. Mel, tell us more about this. Yeah, so Victoria Sparts was initially seen as the sort of perfect messenger for the cause. She's from Ukraine. She's been passionate about the need for the administration to aid the Ukraine war effort. She has championed key legislation on that front. But over the past few months, she has also been an outspoken critic of the Ukrainian government. She's peddled these old corruption allegations about President Zelensky and some of his top aides. Um, and she has sparked allegations from her colleagues that she is mirroring pro-Russia talking points. And so this has really alarmed some White House officials, lawmakers in both parties, and members of the Ukrainian parliament, according to the reporting that I did with my colleague Natasha Bertrand. Um, and now there has been an effort to intervene. The concern here is that she is undermining their efforts to stay united about behind Ukraine at a pivotal moment. They're worried that she could give on-the-fence lawmakers a reason to 
oppose the next aid package. And so some top Republicans have tried to privately talk to her to rein her in. We're also told that the administration gave her an intelligence briefing and tried to sort of walk her through some of these allegations that she's made and refute them or explain that there's just not enough evidence to support them. So, so Ted, I would say that Representative Sparks, because she's someone who's not who doesn't dislike Ukraine, I would say she's just the kind of person when she's talking about Ukraine corruption should be listened to. The U.S. government should go, here's someone who's clearly lo- loves Ukraine and Ukrainian people. And if she's sounding the alarm about corruption, we should listen to her. Do you agree with that but broadly? That she seems like an objective source. I think I think we should listen to them because they're, those allegations are very well documented by respectable media organizations. So, uh, and I'm sure she's relying on those reports. Um, and yes, she does. Obviously, she has credibility, which is why they're so worried. What's alarming to me is to hear the media and uh, representative, representatives of the government, and, and including the White House, trying to, instead of saying, "Oh, you know, let's." talk, let's, let's look into these allegations, let's think about them, let's, you know, whatever. It, just, like, their first reaction is, make her shut up. Uh, that's alarming. And uh, they, they could use this as a learning opportunity to say, okay, you know about Ukraine, what are you saying is going on there? George Soros has said for 30 years, his mission has been getting rid of corruption in Ukraine. So you're right. It's well known Ukraine is corrupt. But what they're basically saying is shut up about it. Because my, my, and that's all we have time for. Ted Rawl, great conversation as usual. I'm glad I could leave you gobsmacked with certain clips. I thought it'd be fun to listen to. And when we come back, we'll have more stuff and your calls, 202 521. 1320 on the backstory. And we are live from the Empire of Lies. It's time for the last hour of the week of the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. I'm investigative journalist Lee Stranahan, and this is Backstory. Ted Rawls is a very smart guy, and so I'm glad the clips seem to amuse him. Did you catch that, Rod? He seemed to be amused by the clips. Yeah, I think he's speaking for the average person, like with the Tedros clip, you know, uh, he's protesting. That's why he doesn't want the vaccine. None of them, not the booster, none of them. Yes. The Biden administration is protesting recession. That's why they want to admit to it. It's that layman argument. Tedros could work for the Biden administration's PR department if he's looking for another job after the WHO. But it, it is amazing. And that Cheney clip, again, if I just described it to you, it's not as direct as hearing the clip for yourself. You can see that is an anti-Trump family, right? 
attacking Trump and his base. I think it's insulting to Trump voters, in fact, Rod. What do you think of that? I don't even know how Dick Cheney is able to walk with a pair like that, Lee, because for him to be saying that is just like, wow. So you're implying his testicles would be crushed between his thighs or something? Rod, was that the physiological implication? Yeah, he needs a wheelchair to, to carry around that to, for the uh, audacity for him to come out and say uh, uh, Trump is one of the worst things in America. Perhaps I might I suggest for Dick Cheney a Nazi-era sidecar. You know the sidecars they have on motorcycles? Right, right, right. That could come in handy. And if you got one with a swastika already on it, it's perfect for supporting Ukraine. So Dick Cheney, look into that. Rod, help him find that on eBay. Do they sell Nazi-era sidecars on eBay? I imagine they'd be against the rules to sell. Wouldn't you think so? Uh, in 2022, where Ukrainian Nazis are good, uh, you know, we must praise them, Slava Ukraine. Um, maybe not. There we go. And you can always just get a sticker afterwards from Etsy and put it on a sidecar sticker. But great appearance by Ted Raw as usual. I really did enjoy how he was stunned by the Tedros clip because that is just some bad PR. Have you, have you been vaccinated? Well, Ethiopia protests, just say no. First off, you know, Stadros did not say plainly, no, I didn't get vaccinated. Who knew all you anti-vax people? You should have said, Tedros is giving you the solution. Just say you're protesting. All the people who got in trouble were protesting. Right, Rod? Yeah, that, that's for sure, Lee. <laughs> the, and, the, and coming up this hour, Ian Schilling. And we got a lot of stories to talk to Ian about going on in England, including a man who was attacked over some things he said. You know, questioning, I'll put it like this, if there's not a LGBT political agenda, and I'm not saying all people who are gay have that po- political agenda, but part of the agenda, and when they get into the trans issue, is stifling speech. Would you agree that part of the trans agenda seems to be restricting people's speech? I think that's the number one agenda of these of uh, certain people to restrict speech, not allow, not allow you uh, to voice your opinions or dissent from the uh, establishment. Right, and to dissent in terms of saying, for instance, that you think double mastectomies on, you know, preteens, adolescents, are a bad idea. And if, have you seen that? Where people are saying that they object to actual surgical procedures, double mastectomies for adolescents, and they're called haters. Rod. Yeah, it's just it's just a crazy world we're living in right now, Lee. But yeah, I saw the people attacking DeSantis over that. Yes. And and uh, we'll be talking about Dean Schilling about what's going on in the UK. 
later in the show. This is The Backstory. And we got other topics to talk about, but I want to mention something personal to people in the show and uh, members of the show family, people who work with me in the show and are regular listeners and new listeners too. So, and we'll get to Owl Killer in one second. 202-521-1320, one second. So I want to say something personal. As everybody knows, I had a serious stroke a few months ago. And what I'm dealing with now, after months, is dealing with the fact that this could be as good as I get. And does it make sense, Rod? You know, you get older. And there's a certain point when you go out, let's say, jogging or running. And you go, I guess I'm not as young as I used to be. So now when I go jog a mile, I'm going to be tired and out of breath. And that's just reality. I'm not going to get back to the point like I was 20 and could go out running. So I'm coming to the point now where I'm realizing that this, the way I talk now and the way my brain works now could be as good as I get. I might not, I might make incremental improvement, but this could be the equivalent of the new normal. And that is frightening in some senses. Now, people tell me, they say that, and when I ask people questions, they seem to be able to understand me. So first off, I want to thank all the people I work with, and I want to thank the people I work for, Sputnik, for being so patient and being so supportive of me through the health problems I've had. But also you, the audience members, I think the past couple of weeks, we've done some phenomenal shows. And I say that as someone who works on the show, and believe it or not, is critical of the show. Every show after it ends, I talk to my girlfriend and I am like a nervous uh, performer. I ask, how did this show go? And I talk to her about how the show went. And I think we've had some great shows, including, let me mention one part of the show, Rod, that we didn't talk about. The other day, we had Jason Goodman co-hosting the show, and we had John Kiriakou as a guest on the show. And they got into a discussion about 9-11. Remember that, Rod? Yeah, I remember that. Now, I personally thought, now tell me what you honestly think. But I personally thought that was an outstanding segment. And I let it run as a host. I let them talk because it was a civil discussion and it brought out issues of disagreement with people about 9-11, which I'm fine from a free speech perspective. I want people to be able to talk about that. And I thought it was a perfectly civil discussion from two guys who obviously fundamentally like and respect each other. But that's why I let that run, not to take an advocacy position but because I thought they laid out the two positions very well. What did you think of that segment with John Kiriakou and Jason Goodman the other day? I thought it was fantastic, Rod. What What did you think? Um, I thought I, I, I agree with you on that, Lee. Um, you know, uh, what Jason was saying, a lot of people don't uh, think about or agree with or ever looked into. And what John was saying is a, lot, is a lot of things that also people might not know or certain information that they um, might have uh, 
um, misheard or misremembered. You know, I mean, 9-11 is so uh, far gone for a lot of people, especially born after that. You know, it's, it's just an, uh, just three numbers, you know, 9-11. Um, but uh, it's, it's, a, it's a major event that a lot of people that nobody's paid a price for as far as government. Um, I think we could all agree on that. Uh, it's an incompetence. How did that uh, event uh, occur? And nobody paid the price for it. And does that make sense? You're younger than I am. But as you get older, you start to realize, and especially after the stroke, you know, starting to realize that this may be it. This could be the new normal for the way I speak. And maybe it's not that bad, but maybe it is. I don't know. I'm not in a position to judge it objectively. But I do want to say I'm profoundly thankful to everyone in the audience and everyone in Sputnik for all the support and love. So let me just say that. And do you have any comments on that, Rod? Oh, no, for sure, Lee. And I think you need to uh, you need to congratulations yourself. I mean, you fought through multiple strokes. That's not easy. Um, a lot of people would have uh, cowered and just, you know, hey, you know, uh, maybe fell on disability or just, you know, um, you know, just sorrowed about it. But you fought through it and... Um, you know, uh, some people have commented and asked me who may have not known, you know, if something had happened to you. And I tell them you're about 95 percent of your old self. Um, will you get that 5 percent back or 4 percent to get 99 percent? Uh, we don't know. Um, I've seen uh, this happen to other people. And over time, sometimes people do get better. So people, like you said, uh, you, maybe this is as good as it gets. It's uh, there's no exact science. And uh, maybe you might not notice it yourself and other people may notice that you're getting better. Um, but, you know, from, uh, what was it, March to now, I mean, it's just uh, night and daily. So I, and, I, and I'll say I'll say this. I've been working. You notice the videos back in the show. I've been working on various aspects of the show. But part of the reason it keeps me going, aside from the fact that I love the audience and love the people I work with, is that we are in a very dangerous time right now. We are in a time of worldwide revolutions. I've said it. Vladimir Putin said it, and he's right. It's obvious. It's obvious. We're in a very dangerous period right now. And I feel like I've been ahead of many of these stories, like Ukraine, for years. Right, Rod? I'm not Johnny come lately to Ukraine. Uh, no, for, for sure, Lee. Uh, I worked with Ukrainians for many years, and, um, you know, I didn't know about any of this stuff. Uh, you know, obviously, after 2014, I learned a little bit about it. Uh, working with these people closely, but uh, you you know you've laid this out, and we've learned it along with you. Some things you didn't know, and you learned it, and you investigated it, and come back, and we're able to package it for people to understand better. And we'll get to Al Keller in one second. Al Keller, thanks for waiting. But I want to point out that the stuff I know has not been put out in an organized form, so a lot of people still don't have a place they can go for what really happened in RussiaGate. And I, I see the ongoing Russiagate stuff, this guy that Grassley's been talking about, who's, there's ongoing, see, the Ukraine-Russia war is part of a piece of Russiagate. And it's all the same thing. And that connects to the New World Order. I see them all as connected. And most people don't understand it, because why would they? Because the media's job is actually, the mainstream media's job, their job, what they're paid to do is to cover up the truth. They're not paid to illuminate the truth. 
they're paid to cover it up and they do a pretty good job of it. So I, I, I'm committed to get a lot more work out and I'm excited about things. And so thanks again, once again, to the audience and to everyone I work with as Budnick. Thank you. So 202-521-1320, Al Killer, what is on your mind, sir? Thanks for being patient. Hey, Lee, no problem. And I, I would agree with what uh, Rod said. Um, from March till now, it's it's night and day. And um, to be honest with you, if you didn't know what you used to sound like, you would know that um, you, you really had anything um, wrong with you at the time. So I think that might be one good thing to look at that, you know, from the person that if somebody never knew you, they would think that you're perfectly fine. I would think for the most part, um, I, what I, very nice to say, I'll call it. Thank you. You got it. So what I, what I wanted to call in today, you, um, you know, you're, you're on Twitter, you got the MC international, um, uh, making the claims that Zelensky is uh, using, you know, human shields, Ukrainian military. And I noticed a bad, I, I noticed Zelensky getting covered. I, I would, for him, it's bad, but I, I would say it's more fair coverage of him where, you know, he's not this, uh, he's not Winston Churchill anymore in the uh, news media. And it seems like he has exceeded his usefulness in a way. And so, Alcon, let's let me stop you just one sec, because I want to, in case people don't know what's going on, Amnesty International has a new report on the Ukraine-Russia conflict, and in the report, they accuse Russia of a lot of war crimes. That is factually true, but they had the audacity, they had the unmitigated gall, those bastards, of actually telling the truth about Ukraine too, and said to Ukraine has committed lots of war crimes. And it's obvious, duh, they banned political parties and so on. So the fact that Amnesty International gave them the criticism, Ukraine responded and Zelensky responded by attacking Amnesty International and saying that they're pro-Russian. Is that a fair summary of what's going on with that owl killer? Yes, definitely. And um, now I, I, I remember in 2014 when when uh, the initial overthrow of the of the Yanukovych government, it almost seemed like it was a ping pong ball going back and forth: Syria, Ukraine, Syria, Ukraine, and it seemed like as soon as they would be stalled in Syria, something would go, something else would happen in Ukraine. As soon as that would get put down, right back to Syria, and then we just go back and forth, back and forth. Um, until Trump uh, got, in, got in in 2016. And I wonder if this Taiwan thing is, not, is ju- just not the new place for, the, 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 for them to, it's not their new ping pong ball between Ukraine and now China and Taiwan, Ukraine, China and Taiwan going back and forth to keep the tension in the world going on. Um, I, because, because, again, there is no... There is no re- nothing good could have come out of Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan at all. Like there, you're, you know, if you wanted to do it before you let them in the World Trade Organization after nine eleven, speaking of nine eleven in two thousand one when nobody was looking, that would have been one thing. You're not going to beat China in their backyard. It's just not going to happen. So it, I wonder if they're realizing that 
um, you know, Zelensky has exceeded his usefulness. And one, I think one of the most astute uh, radio talk show hosts, you know, he only works part-time now, Michael Savage. He, his main concern about Zelensky um, was the fact that, because Michael Savage is Jewish and that Zelensky is Jewish, and he saw the writing on the wall that he thinks there's going to be a wave of anti-Semitism when people realize the disaster that Zelensky has caused in uh, Ukraine, because now that it's clear that Russia's winning and is going to win, you're not going to be able to hide the results of the the results and the damage that have occurred in Ukraine. And once Zelensky no longer has, or once Zelensky is no longer able to um, get, you know, get the support of the media, you know, you're, you're going to, people are going to be faced with what actually took place. And it's like Zelensky is now expendable. And I I think, and and let me point out something that you're saying. We had Yaakov Shapiro on the show yesterday, Rabbi Yaakov Shapiro the anti-Zionist rabbi. Someone like Zelensky uses the religion of Judaism. He's, I get no impression whatsoever that Zelensky is a practicing Jew. You get that sense from him that he's a practicing observant Jew. He doesn't seem like a religious person. Does he seem like a religious person to you, Alcala, Zelensky? I don't. You think a rabbi would like his uh, piano lesson? Absolutely not. He's he's not religious. I think he's his wife is Catholic. To be honest with you, so he's, he's not he's not a, he's not an observant Jew, and that was Michael Savage's. Uh, that was the worry that he's going to be used by people that that he, for a wave of anti-Semitism that Europe's going to start feeling because of. I mean, you got Germany, you know, you got countries uh, like um, the U.K. I mean, France is all right because they have some nuclear power. But most of Western Europe is going to hurt in the winter. And they're going to be, hey, what cost? No, no, I think it's a good point. I think anti-Semitism will boomerang on Zelensky, but I don't think it should. Let me point out my point on Zelensky's so-called Judaism and I say so-called because I again I'm not sure how observant a Jew he is actually. Is it is it's irrelevant? There's nothing relevant about Zelensky being Jewish, either to one side or the other. He's not doing the bad stuff he's doing because he's Jewish. Does that make sense? But he's not doing anything that he's doing because he's Jewish. It's irrelevant, and. Do you know who this tactic comes from? Soros. Soros has been the biggest NGO funder in Ukraine for decades. Uses, he's admittedly an atheist. Soros uses the fact that he's Jewish to shield himself from criticism. You can't, people, you've heard this, I'm sure I'll kill her. People say globalist is a secret dog whistle meaning Jewish. Yep. And that's absurd. I've never said he's a dog. He's a globalist because he's Jewish. It's irrelevant. So, do you agree that Zelensky is actually cynically using the religion of Judaism? Do you agree with that, Al Keller? I was going to say, sure. That's exactly what Soros does. Um, right. 
right, right as you were talking, that's what I wanted to say. That's exactly what Soros does. And not, it's not not even just globalists. You, if you say Soros's name, they accuse you of being anti-Semitic. I remember Newt Gingrich about a, a year and a half ago brought up Soros fund, or probably two years ago, brought up on Fox News Soros funding the uh, Black Lives Matter movement. And they stop him and they mute him. And they say, we're not going to talk about George Soros. And he goes, um, okay, he's off limits, I guess. And they stopped him live on the air and said, you can't talk about, you can't even mention his name. And their, their rationale behind it was that even bringing him up is anti-Semitic, which is absurd. Yes, and it's very bothersome. And when I talk to a guy like Yakov Shapiro, I'm doubly insulted because here's a guy who is clearly an observant Jew, and he's clearly devoted his life to the religion. He takes it seriously, but he's not immune from criticism. He's criticized for being an anti-Zionist all the time. Right. And it's disgusting to me. Al Keller, great call. Anything else? No, that that's pretty much what I, I wanted to hit. Let's uh, pray for peace and hope uh, tensions uh, calm down the world. Yes. And let's talk about what else is going on in Ukraine. So it seems like a lot of these battles, the Battle of Donetsk, there's a place across from Donetsk, uh, Pesky. Have you heard of Pesky, Rod? Um, I, I actually, I just saw that today. So that, and that was the first time I ever heard that, uh, that town or area. So here's apparently what the dopes in Ukraine did. And did it backed by the West entirely. They apparently were talking, remember this a few weeks ago, they were going to launch a counteroffensive in Kherson, the area we, we've talked to John Mark Dugan about having been there. And we've talked about how civilians are getting cell phones again. But apparently Ukraine decided to do a counteroffensive in Kherson. Have you heard about that for weeks in the media, Rod? We, we spoke about that with Sandra, yeah. Yes. And so that counteroffensive in Kherson was designed to show the West that the U.S. could win something in this war because you notice Ukraine's not doing very well. So they took the HIMAR missiles and they tried to mount a counteroffensive in Ukraine. Now, because they mounted a counteroffensive, they removed the missiles that they were using in the Donetsk region. Does that make sense? They moved the missiles from one, they moved the artillery from one part of the country to another part to engage in this counteroffensive. You with me, Rod? Yeah, I'm here. So what do you think happened to the area, Donetsk, where they removed the missiles from? Any guess what well, Russia was, would, any guess yeah, would, what Russia would do if they saw you taking missiles out of one area and moving to another one? Uh, they would immediately move, mobilize their troops to that area. Bingo. Congratulations. You can be a Russian general, but you're too smart to be a Ukrainian one. So what the dumb Ukrainians did was they talked about it. They also announced what they're doing. We're going to move to do a counteroffensive in Kherson. Now in Kherson, so they moved all their, they moved a lot of their missiles there, a lot of their artillery. And Donetsk, they basically left 
undefended. So Russia said, okay. So they started attacking in Donetsk and they're making big advances in Donetsk and taking his city of Pesky, for instance, which is one of the keys in the Ukrainian defense line. And they did to themselves, you dumb Ukrainians, you owe it to yourself and to your fealty to the West. You did that counteroffensive because you want to show the U.S. something. Unfortunately, you showed the Russians something, that you're dopes. So I'm going to say, do you agree? Am I being harsh on Ukraine or was that dopey, not just to do it, but to announce it? They owe it. They they owe. They can only blame themselves for what has transpired in Donetsk with them getting attacked and defeated by Russia near Donetsk. They owe they they blame themselves, I say. What do you say, Rod? That's like me telling you. That's like me going into a boxing match and saying I'm not going to keep my guard up. Yeah, you know, I'm just asking to get knocked out. A good analogy. And uh, let's take a short break. We've in, in Chile online, and we'll talk about a lot of stuff that's going on. But I want to point out the war is going well for Russia, and partially because Ukraine. And by the way, do you know who kind of thinks Zelensky's a, a dope? His top general. His top general has said, I'm not going to do this counteroffensive in Kherson. Have you seen that? Zelensky's top generals has said that. Yeah, I saw that, Lee, and I think Zelensky's time is coming to a head real soon. So if you're critical of me calling Ukraine dopes, be critical of Ukraine's top general, because he said the same thing. This so-called counteroffensive Kherson, it's a mess. And it caused the losses they're having in Donetsk. And I think this is going to be pretty much finished the Battle of Donetsk in August. I've said that before, I'll say it again. I think August is when this gets mopped up. But let's take a short break. When we come back, Ian Schilling, the great Ian Schilling, on the backstory. And we're back on the backstory, 105.5 FM, AM 1390. Joining us now, the great geopolitical analyst, Ian Schilling. Hey, Ian, how you doing? Hi, guys. Great to talk again. So, Ian, thanks for staying up late. Uh, you, it's not you, late you, for me. <laughs> It's not late for you? You're a night owl? Yeah, I usually stay up to about 2 o'clock in the morning. Okay, thanks, thanks for staying up early then. So, Ian, <laughs> what's going on? I'm only going to be able to talk about this vaguely, but there's you, you can talk about it. If you know about it, I, this older guy who was arrested for making anti-LGBT statements that didn't seem to me to be anti-LGBT. Are you aware of that guy? Yes, I am. I, 
He, okay, so the guy that drug, arrested drug, actually drug. didn't do the meme, right? It was, it was, it was the meme that they posted on social media was was uh, um, gay pride flags and the trans flag, and made out to look like a swastika. They did four sections and rotated them, so it looked like a swastika. It's quite clever. Because of all the all the bloody ideology that they're forcing on people, so the guy that did it, somebody somebody was offended by it. Oh, oh dear, you're offended, <laughs> and and the guy that got arrested is obviously a friend of the the, the guy who did the meme, and he defended him against the cops, and and then the cops all turned up and arrested the guy who was defending the guy who was who did the meme. It's ridiculous. And the chief constable of Manchester Police, where it happened, said that the cops were over the top for it. They shouldn't have arrested them, and that they should stop stop putting resources into into people being uh, uh, offended by social media posts, and should start tackling real crime instead, which is good. So there's a massive there's a massive backlash over it. It was all in the media and whatever else, and everybody was on the side of the guy that was arrested. Right? Just about everybody. So, so things might change for the better. They might stop stop picking on people who do who do slightly controversial social media posts and start catching burglars and things like that and muggers. And it seems to me that trans, for lack of a better term, trans issues come up in the UK a lot. People like J.K. Rowling and Ricky Gervais have been criticised for statements they made, and people like this woman. Posey Parker, I see her a lot, and she's British. So what yeah. is up with the transgender issue? It's a raging storm. It's a raging storm at the moment. You know, that some people are trying to defend women's rights, right, and women's only toilets and stuff like that. Right? And all the all trans extremists are trying, trying to say well, that, you know, you should put men, sexual sexual offending men in women's prisons because they claim to claim to now identify as a woman and then raping women in women's prisons so there's i mean it's, it's all gone way too far and now there's a backlash against all the trans extremists and i blame british comedy in part for the problem here because i grew up you know watching british comedy like monty python particularly and benny hill and other British shows on PBS in America. And on those shows, a guy in a dress was funny. Yep. Remember that? When a guy in a yep. dress automatically, Benny Hill wearing a dress and making a funny face was funny. You didn't need anything else, just Benny Hill in a dress. Yeah, Am well, I they right? took, they, yeah. yes, they did. They could, they could tackle with just about any subject they wanted to, and they did. Did it very well. Now, now all of that is disappeared, doesn't it? Because somebody's going to be offended by it. <laughs> well, it's not my fault if you're offended. That's your problem. And you had for Money Python John Cleese, the comedian, and the great <laughs> member of Money Python, founding member, Cambridge alum. John Cleese well, he, was recently. He recently was in te in Texas at CPAC. He recently spoke at CPAC. Did you see that, Ian? 
Well, he's been speaking out about all this, all this bullying and whatever that you the comedians can't say X, Y, and Z. Yeah, he's been he's been at the forefront of trying to battle for free speech and saying, well, you've got to have comedy about these things. So how else are you going to debate issues of the day if you can't can't poke fun at it? Right. So he's been one of the one of the major people pushing back against all this stuff, quite rightly. Yes, and 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 with J.K. Rowling and and Ricky Gervais, you have created people talking about this as a threat to creativity. If you can't, again, no one was out there saying, and if someone was out there saying it, that it should be illegal to be trans, you should go to jail if you wear a dress. I would oppose that. And I assume you would too, Ian. You're not trying to ban trans people from society, right? No, I'm just trying to stop, stop trans the trans extremists pushing it, the agenda down people's throats and demanding that men can, men can go in women's toilets just because they say they identify as a woman or they get put in women's prisons and then endanger the women that are in the prison, right? Because, I mean, they're putting sexual offenders, right, people who have sexually assaulted or raped women in women's jails. How, how can that be right? Because it's putting putting the women's population at risk, so it's, it can't be right. No, and, and you're right. And it's a weird way. And Posey Parker has pointed this out. Is a weird way to reverse the feminist agenda and the gains women have made. How long have women thought, for instance, to get taken seriously as athletes? Decades, right? Yeah. 50 and years or whatever, they, yeah. And right. then they, and then they, they put to... biological males to, to uh, compete against them, and, of course, the biological male is going to beat them, aren't they? Because they've they, they got biological advantages. And if you take the side of the woman, you get banned from social media. If you take yeah. the side not of the man but of the woman on this issue, you get banned. Have you noticed that, Ian? Oh, yeah. Well, that's what they try and do to everybody who speaks out against it, isn't it? That's what they try and do. Can't they try and cancel them, don't they? That censure them to social media, try and try and uh, ban their incomes and whatever. So just to destroy them, destroy them on their, you know, their their sources of income. And a lot of people know that the woke agenda, which was John Cleese was talking about at CPAC, the woke agenda, not just trans issues, but the woke agenda tends to favor the establishment. The woke agenda, for as radical as they like to make make themselves out to be, in fact, they end up, so you get people like a neuter in, in England, the Labour Party, you know, the guy who I see talk about the problems of the woke agenda all the time is George Galloway. And George Galloway, he, his leftist cred is solid. He's a leftist. But he sees where the woke agenda is benefiting. And it's the equivalent of Democrats in the U.S. or of Blairites and Keir Starmer. Have you noticed the woke agenda ends up helping these neoliberals every time, Ian? But it's, it's a deliberate strategy by neoliberal globalist oligarchs, isn't it? I mean, Soros is pushing all this, and that they're all funded by by you know, they call it left, 
wing, but it's not left wing, is it? Neoliberal, li- neoliberalism is corporatism. Right? It's fascism. Right? So Soros actually supports fascism because he supports corporate rights over individual rights. Right? And the purpose, they've been doing this for 50 years. They're trying to undermine the natural nuclear family of a man and a woman and a family, and they are having kids. And they want to crush that. They want to make people dependent on the state, and they want to destroy the nuclear family. Right? The nuclear family has, has been going for 10,000 years or whatever, isn't it? in most, most places. Right? That, that is the basis of society, and that's how um, people have progressed. Right? If you don't have the nuclear family, then you have societal breakdown, don't you? So, no. I mean, they try, yeah. they, they, I mean, all this, all this drag queen hour and whatever else is all part of it as well. It's trying, it's trying to sexualize and degenerate kids, right? It's try, it's trying to, trying to degenerate them, and all, all the kids' school li- libraries are now getting queer books in them, and aren't they? And drag queen books and whatever else. It's disgusting. I mean, for five and eight-year-old kids, it's absolutely disgusting. Five and eight-year-old kids should be playing football in a park, not being taught by queers. Yes. No. A lot of parents feel that way. And they feel like the same people attacking food prices, the same people causing the food crisis we're seeing in the world are behind this. And they feel like their entire life, their family, energy, and food is under attack by the same people, the neoliberal New World Order. Do you see that people around the world increasingly feel that way, Ian? Well, there's there's a lot of people waking up to it. That it's all the same groups that are all behind this, all all causing causing the the food, fuel and food crisis, and also the trans extremism and the and the queer lobbies and the gay pride thing and whatever else. They're all the same people behind it, and people are waking up. It's a pretty slow process, but there are people waking up. No, but but it should be pointed out that the people waking up is kind of amazing, considering the groups that are promoting this stuff have access to mainstream media and billions of dollars, and they have access to the advertising industry and all these corporate people providing their PR and their propaganda. So I would say the propaganda machine seems almost insurmountable. So anybody getting to the truth on this is kind of a miracle. Do you see what I'm saying, Ian? Yeah. Oh, it is. Well, I mean, they've got 90% of the media. I mean, there are some some standouts, but, but I mean, the BBC and the Guardian and the Independent and the New York Times and the Washington Post and the CNN and MSNBC, they're all, they're all pushing it, aren't they? So and there's 90% of the media pushing it. But, I mean, there's a few few outlets that don't push it, like the Daily Mail doesn't push the woke agenda at all. Right? And so, you know, Tucker Carlson and people like that won't be pushing it in Fox News, will they? So, so I mean, there are people standing up against it, but m- most most of the stuff. I mean, you got you got to persuade the people in the middle, haven't you? The the sixty percent of ordinary people that that aren't partisan one way or the other. That's who you've got to reach. And no, the, the, most of them watch the BBC in the UK, so that's a problem. 
And sometimes the parts of the universe wrap around. And so you get the Tories, people like this trust, on the same side of Ukraine as the New World Order people. Isn't that right? And you see that there's a uniparty that's on foreign policy. Yeah, they are on the same same position as Uniparty. But it's it's got nothing to do with freedom and democracy. It's all about corporate profits and banking controls and financial controls. It's got nothing to do with freedom and democracy that they keep pushing. It's all about opening up markets for, for large corporations. I mean, major, major American corporations like Monsanto and Cargill have bought something like 30% of Western Ukraine farmland, right? So it's not, they're not doing it for Ukraine. It's to protect the corporate interest. Cargill and DuPont and Monsanto have bought sort of 30 or 40% of Ukrainian agricultural land. Right? And they fight the war to protect that. They're not interested in Ukrainians. They couldn't care less how many Ukrainians die in this war, could they? That's not what they're interested in at all. And by the way, uh, follow up on something I talked about yesterday. On the show yesterday, I said that Ukraine was accusing Russia of stealing Ukrainian grain. And I made a guess. I said, I've, I haven't looked into this at all, but my guess is that Ukraine is taking land that Russia took and Russia is selling the grain from that land. And it turns out I was right, but I was wrong. I said I thought it was about Crimean grain. It is not. It is about food from Kherson. Russia has control of Kherson. So therefore, the food that's going out of Kherson, Russia's selling it. But Ukraine is saying, hey, that's our food. So I want to point that out because I, I was wrong about that, but I was right about it. The, what they're claiming is that territory Russia took somehow Ukraine should get the growers of the grain, the farmers that grew it should get the money and that, and they will be, won't they? I mean, Russia's right. just the go-between, right? But the money for the grain is going to end up with a farmer who grew it originally, isn't it? And that's, that's exactly right. The forgotten Ukrainian people. Right, right, Ian. So, uh, the the food crisis that brings us to Holland. Are you following? What's the latest on what's going on with the farmers' action in Holland? Oh, they're still all, still all all over it in in Holland. The protests are actually getting bigger. They took over Amsterdam at the weekend. There was a big protest in Amsterdam in the town centre, and there was loads of the public. I don't know how many, how many thousands of people there were, but there are loads of ordinary people who joined in with the farmers and the truckers, and they had a big protest in Amsterdam, took took over the central square, and they, the far, farmers are still dumping hay bales and manure on the, on the uh, highways, on the motorways, and they're burning hay bales, and they're still having protests, and the truckers are joining in, and they're blockading food distribution depots and whatever else. So there's a lot of support for the Dutch farmers from the general public. So the government's got a problem because the ordinary now, public is supporting the farmers. Let's point out something else that's in the news. One thing that's happened is the European sanctions on Russian energy seem to have fallen apart. 
but no one in Europe has said that out loud exactly. But all the sanctions that they're doing against Russian energy seem to have fallen apart because I think the European leaders realized they were headed for a disaster of winter. Right? Yeah. Right, Ian? Yeah. It's they, going to do far more harm to European countries than it's going to do to Russia. Because whatever whatever energy they don't, the Europeans don't take from from Russia, Russia, Russia will export 80% of that to India or China, won't they? So it's not going to hurt Russia a lot because they'll sell nearly as much elsewhere but at a much higher price. And meanwhile, Russia, I mean, Europe will go into a deep depression if they keep on with this policy. And the people will be freezing in their homes this winter because there won't be enough natural gas to, to do the heating or the electricity. And so it doesn't so look like we're going to... a disaster. They were headed for that, but but they've silently dropped the Russian sanctions against. Well, they energy. haven't dropped them at the moment, but they 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 are they are reconsidering, aren't they? And there was even talk. Some yes. well, some German minister said, "Well, we might have to open Nord Stream too." <laughs> yeah, that was hilarious. They're, they're talking about opening Nord Stream too, but in Germany. The problem is Harbach and the the people running energy policy in Germany are the Greens who are anti-Russian, right? You know, said Ian, the Greens in Germany are very anti-Russian. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I don't know what their philosophy is, but I mean, all the Greens, half of them came from the Communist Party, didn't they, 30 years ago? When communism collapsed, they all they, instead of having a communist party in these various European countries, they the communists joined with the Greens, didn't they? That's what happened in you know late nineteen eighties and stuff. So I don't know what I don't know the makeup of what the Greens are in Germany, but I mean the Greens the Greens in the UK are radical leftists, They're just idiots. Now what's going on in the race for prime minister? What's going on in that currently? And control well, of the Tories, control of the Liz Conservative Truss Party. Liz Truss is a favourite at the moment, and some, unless some substantial changes, then Liz Truss is going to get get the vote of the Tory party members. And there's loads of British press pushing her. I mean, she's completely insane and delusional, but the British press are, are, are pushing her for the Tories to vote for her to be the next prime minister. I mean, she's saying things like she'll not, she'll not enact another lockdown again if she's get made PM. Meanwhile, she's going to cause a nuclear war by provoking Russia. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> and and how long have people known who Liz Truss is? For me, she kind of came out of nowhere. And I know a little about British politics, but I'd never heard of her. Then one day she was the foreign minister. And was she, how, did I just miss it? Was she extremely well known? In the UK, before no, she was she wasn't made extremely well known, but she's she's been in the cabinet for quite a long time, but not in very senior roles. So she's been, you know, a junior member of the cabinet for a long time. Right? So I don't so, know how many years, but she's been been a minister for for quite a number of years, but only in low key roles, really. You know, nothing, nothing, nothing major until she got made foreign secretary. Okay, that makes sense. So she's a party insider, and so she's probably oh, yeah. built up enough friends within the party to assure that the party will elect her. And it makes sense 
But the big issue for the people in the UK is the economy. And do you have any sense of what Liz Truss is going to do for the UK economy, not for the people of Ukraine, who she'll help out as much as she can? But what's it going to be like for people in the UK and the economy under Liz Truss? Ian? Well, they're not going to do anything to make it better. I mean, the, the current argument is we shouldn't do things that will make it even worse, right? Like, like putting up taxes on ordinary people. <laughs> so that they're not debating anything that might make it better. I like um, producing more energy in the UK or not sanctioning Russia so that the energy prices go down or accepting Russian, Russian oil and gas, right? So they're not going to do anything that'll make it better. They're just just arguing about we, what what things we shouldn't do to make it worse. So, so it's going to. Let me... Across the UK and the whole of Europe, it's going to be a nightmare this winter. There's going to be there's going to be strikes, industrial disputes. There's going to be massive inflation. All the all the heating bills for people's houses are going to go up. The electricity bills are going to go up. The fuel for their cars is going to go up. You know, it's it's going to be a nightmare. And, and all and these think, strikes are going to have, like the, like the the dock workers in Phoenix, they are going to go on strike, aren't they? The rail unions are already going on strike, and you know loads of other loads of other unions are go go out on strike because they're getting offered five percent pay rises or less, and inflation's running about ten percent. And you've been talking about Bill Gates, Microsoft chairman, former chairman Bill Gates, for years, Ian. And I think all the work you've done on Bill Gates is going to pay off for you this winter. And let me tell you why. I think the one issue that's going to come out of this winter is food. I think food is going to be a big political issue. We already see it in Holland and with Germany and to a limited extent in the U.S. But I think food and in particular Bill Gates buying up so much farmland and what the food agenda is of the new world order and Klaus Schwab. I think the food issue will be a big one this winter. What do you think about that, Ian? And what do you think the role of Bill Gates is in food around the world? It is going to be a big issue because of the prices. I mean, it, Western Europeans aren't going to stop. Right, but they are going to suffer hardship because the price of food is going to going to go up a lot. Yeah, people people in Africa are going to starve to death because if the price of food doubles, then, then there's going to be starvation in Africa. That's what it's going to going to affect most most people. Right, but I mean, obviously, if the price of food doubles, then it's, it causes massive hardship hardship for ordinary working people. Doesn't doesn't cause any hardship for the billionaires, does it? Or hundred millionaires, but ordinary people living living on a fixed wage, of course, is going to cause problems, right? And they're all already already there's already backlash against it in the UK. There's don't pay your electricity bills if they put the prices of electricity up after the first of October, because currently there's a price cap on that. What the electricity companies can charge for electricity and that's going to disappear or they're going to raise it by 50 percent on october the first so there's now protests in the uk started that if they put the price of electricity up by a lot we won't pay it 
right? So I don't know what will happen to that. But the, 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 there's all seeds of discontent, and they're all growing. They're all growing all over the place. And it's going to get worse. And by, by winter, you know, December and January, it's going to, get, going to be really bad. And obviously, Bill Gates, one of his big agendas is against meat. And one of the reasons that some people think he's buying all farmland is so he can stop it from ranching and stop. So, Ian, got asked, you're in the UK. How much are you looking forward to Bill Gates' meatless world? You're looking forward to going down to the pub and getting a nice tofu and kidney pie? <laughs> no, cricket, cricket burger. No, I'm not. No. <laughs> no, I don't want any of Bill Gates' cricket burgers or fake meat burgers. No. No, thank you. Also, a shepherd's pie with no lamb, with no beef. <laughs> with no, just, yeah. it's called potatoes. But, uh, <laughs> Ian, doesn't that tie directly into a lot of the corporate agendas that we see yeah, well, promoting now? Trying to, if you control the food supply, you control the people, don't you? This is Kissinger way back 50 years ago saying, if you control the food supply, you control the people. And if you control the, control, and control the note, oil... You, Ian Schilling, we're out of time, and you, you're you not going to get to bed, but have fun staying up. Ian Schilling, great oh, appearance as usual. Thanks to Ted Rawl for a great conversation. Thanks to all our callers, and thanks to all of you. I love you all. We'll talk to you Monday on The Backstory.